0: uh should we introduce her now and just jump into it or should we wait till she's here
1: that's a great idea why don't you why don't we introduce her now actually can i do the intro yeah it's that thing i sent you i know i know and i'm I I just want to make it... it,
0: Read it as you will.
1: I want to make it clear that Nico wrote this, but...
0: I did switch some things up that you suggested.
1: Okay, well... Tonight, we have a very special guest. Her name is Annette Spaulding, and she's a modern-day Jacques Cousteau, adventuring by day and studying tax law by night. Annette has been diving now for over 40 years, becoming a certified master diver and underwater archaeologist in the process. She has traveled the world diving in all sorts of waters, from the warm, cerulean waters of the Caribbean as she searched for missing shipwrecks to the dark, cold waters of isolated lakes in the Great North while searching for downed plains. On top of all that, Annette Spaulding has even spent years and years as a volunteer on the underwater search and rescue team of Southern Vermont and New Hampshire, and has rediscovered a lost piece of Abenaki heritage not too far from here in Brattleboro, Vermont. She is incredibly passionate about her work and was willing to talk to us about some of the treasures she's found, as well as some of the more creepy and frightening stories she's built up throughout
0: her illustrious career. So I had originally contacted you about some creepy stories and that was before I I had known that you had found uh I think they called it Indian rock.
2: Yes. Yes. So
0: I I, I know I'd known that but I didn't really know anything else and, and then I got to reading about you and there's just so much. So um
2: where to begin? Yeah, I mean I'm, I I I'm ner- I'm excited. I'm nervous. This is I know where to be- we can begin. <laughs> Perfect. Ooh. Okay, so I have been to 43 countries and 146 islands all over the world in my life diving for all um, excavations, uh, archaeological things, whatever. But my favorite place of all to dive is in the Connecticut River. It's my favorite because it's an undiscovered, amazing piece of water. Uh, One of the designated one of 14 heritage rivers in the United States for its archaeological historical and other um, Other things so it's my favorite place because over the years I'm on the underwater ski team 30 years ago You couldn't see five inches in front of you and now with the um, strong advocacy of the Connecticut River Conservancy And all kinds of other people interested in fishermen and everyone to preserve the river. I now have 20 to 30 foot visibility the river starts down in Long Island Sound from the ocean, goes all the way up to the Connecticut Lakes, 410 miles. When you think of all the history that's happened, and a lot of history that people don't even know, everything from Captain Kidd, fur traders, Native American history, on and on, forts, I I can't even begin to tell you. I've had 11 historical finds, creepy and crazy and Very historic. We love those. Yeah, I do too. Um, Sometimes I'm by myself, though, and the creepy ones are really creepy. But anyway, yes. So um, I've had a lot of great adventures in the river, and I love what I keep finding. And I keep turning down all these expeditions out of the country because I want to dive the river. There's so much in the Connecticut River to explore. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yes. So uh, I have had some major crazy things. One of the things, I guess this is the craziest thing that ever happened to me with my underwater rescue team. A number of years ago down in Brattleboro where the Whetstone restaurant is, there's a big bridge there. And a lot of the, the you know, people like to jump off the bridge. Well this particular night I think they were at the Whetstone and they probably had too much to drink. I don't know, but there was a lot of current. It was very it was like ten o'clock at night and we got a call that someone was jumping off the bridge and they didn't come back up. So we got called out to dive. I'm a very experienced diver with swift water, diving at night, but this was a very strange thing that happened because the current was very strong that night, and my dive buddy Jeff, wonderful, wonderful diver, great diver, we're always a, a team, and if something, we dive together and something happens to one of us, we always look out for each other, always, and we've had a lot of experiences together. Well, this particular night, I get in with a, you know my equipment, and this was uh, very different, Jeff and I were side-by-side, side, but we knew we wouldn't be able to stay side-by-side by side with the current. So we had a deal that we just go, we time ourselves, and we look for like 15 minutes, and then come up. And all the rescue team boats were up on the surface, you know, watching our bubbles with big lights. All of a sudden, um, I found myself on the bottom, 42 feet deep. Thank God I, we hold 3,000 pounds of air. I still had 1,800 pounds left. What happened was... All of a sudden, I found myself in a cage. I couldn't go forward. The current was pushing me—a very strong current—into this cage. But I couldn't really see it very well because it was very dark and it was very, you know, spring runoff, etc. It was very bad visibility. I couldn't back myself up out of this quote cage. And with my light, I could see I was surrounded by what looked like, you know, it was some kind of steel with little squares. I then realized I was inside a shopping cart, <laughs> oh my God. and I was in it, and I couldn't get out because this current was pushing me, and at the top of our tank, we actually have a regulator valve, and that regulator valve was stuck inside one of those little squares in the cart. Oh, wow. Lo and behold, thank God, with our very conscientious people, um, Jeff came up and asked, you know, where's was where's Annette? And the dive boat said, well... Uh, isn't she with you and he said no we got separated so they had their big lights and they went in the you know direction you know where i was mm-hmm. going uh, north of where they were and sure enough they saw my bubbles and they it, they weren't moving so they put it on a line um uh, jeff went down to the down the bottom where the, my bubbles were and attached the line to the shopping cart where he proceeded to grab me from behind with my legs, push me down just enough, a couple inches, to get that wedged regulator out of the shopping cart and pull me out. So um, on all of our training for this, we our motto is Stop, Think, Breathe, Relax, to conserve our air, because we know we will always be found By our partner
1: Oh my goodness I got to imagine There's like a serious Adrenaline surge That you have to overcome When you realize You're not moving And you're stuck In a situation like that
2: The training We train regularly Yeah We train You know Doing all kinds of things Entanglement with our masks Blocked out Every diving at night Diving under the ice We train extensively So that we're No matter what happens You've you've practiced it Or not exactly Being a shopping cart But entanglement Etc and I guess you know the second craziest thing to do with my underwater rescue team there's a lot of them I won't go into it but I'd like to just bring this up Silver Lake Harrisville New Hampshire we get a call um, from missing person we go over to the lake we everything has a happy ending except that when we're coming out it was dark and it was just getting dark and my friend um, he was in front of me you know coming out we had been searching underwater for two hours and it did have a happy ending because another one of our group found the person and they went through cold water revival. They lived. But I, we didn't know that because we were underwater. And as I was coming out where the boat ramp is, underneath the road, there's a culvert pipe. And this cover's about the size of this table. So it's about maybe three and a half feet wide, three and a half feet tall. This little boy was standing there and he said, diver, diver, can you help me? I just dropped my fishing pole and it went down there. Now, I'm only, the water's only three and a half feet deep, right? Okay. I'm coming out and I said, okay, I'll get it. I made a big mistake. I did not tell my partner because <sighs> I just thought, you know, I was just going down to get this fishing pole, right? I had my light, go down, the current pushing from the lake under it through the culvert to the other side. I figured it's only this, you know, width of the road. However, when I got down there, it pushed me like his little pole went, and I'm looking, and there's no way back. Just like the shopping cart, oh. I couldn't back up. I came to a clogged culvert, all with sticks and debris, so I couldn't go forward, and I couldn't go backwards. Because of the current? Yes. Wow. Pinning me against it. Oh, my so God. So this little boy, thinking, I'm coming back out, and his dad had gone over it, and he, and asked, you know, what he was doing, and he said, "This nice diver went into uh, under there to find my pole." Yeah. My dive buddy was already out of his wetsuit, all, you know, wondering where is she? You know, see, he thought I was just talking to a little boy. Anyway, lo and behold, he put everything back on, went across the road because I didn't come out, but he could see my bubbles on the other side. He broke through the debris, getting to me, and um, and then I pushed right out, and here oh. I am. Yeah. So, you know, you never know, but you, that was a mistake. I never should have done that. Three and a half feet deep of water, you're going into a culvert, you don't expect, and I've been through that culvert before, Mm. and it's clear, it wasn't this day. Wow. Yeah
1: so did you find his fishing pole
2: i did okay. okay it was i saw the fishing pole i'm looking at it going oh my god i'm low on air please please gary please find me and thank god you know gary went down and said hey did you see my diving buddy did you see her well yeah she went down there to get my fishing pole oh my god. how long ago i don't know <laughs> So, yeah, um, the underwater rescue team is an experience, and I'm, I but I'm very so. happy to, um, to be involved in that.
1: Can I back up to the, to the Whetstone, to the Brattleboro Whetstone? Yes. You said you found that person, right? Yes. Oh, good. Okay, just wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that was... So, mm-hmm. the t- a happy ending, you found the, the person who, fell, who jumped off the bridge and yes. the fishing pole.
2: Yes, he actually swam to the shoreline, and he was hypothermic. And um, so he couldn't yell or answer us back. He was just so cold and he couldn't do anything. So he was but, just on the shore by that point. You guys were looking for him underwater. Wow. Correct. He yep. was found by one of the um, our boats. We have boats for the uh, underwater rescue team. The firemen being that with big, big lights to look on the shoreline. So, wow. yes.
0: Oh, he was already <laughs> out of the water?
2: yes. But we were underwater and we didn't know right. and we found him at the same right. time. They found him after this happened to me. Oh well. Hey, great experience. Right? Did you ever talk to
1: that person and be like, "Hey, um, just say no. So you know, no, okay. Probably no, no. probably a good idea not to."
2: No, I don't generally do that, but um, I have a few t- extreme cases. <laughs>
1: Where you want to be like, why did you put my life at risk
2: for that? No, I'm not. No. I know you're just doing what you have to do. Yes. And everybody, they just don't think that something like that's going to happen, you know? Right.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: So, anyway, that's the end of what a risky team. Want to hear some other weird things?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Those are such cool stories to start with, I have to say.
2: Wow. I wasn't even planning to talk about that, but here I am. Yeah. So, so what would you like to ask me, Nick?
0: Uh, Have you ever died? is it dove or is it dived? Dove. Have you ever dove under the old toll bridge uh, between Springfield oh, and I Charlestown? A, oh, I sure have, and I have a lot of stories. I've heard it's there's monster fish under there.
2: Well, I will have to say, I've done probably 90, 100 dives under that over the years. We've trained there for the underwater rescue team, but I have a lot of fishermen that go out well, I don't. A lot of fishermen go out from that ramp. A lot of them know mm-hmm. I dive, so they'll call and they'll say, "I lost my anchor. It's stuck. It's <laughs> so. It means so much to me. It was my grandfather's. Whatever. Could you help me?" So a lot of times I'll dive under there. It's forty-eight feet deep. It's very, very dark because the bridge blocks the sun. Right. So my very first dive there, I was looking for um, a gun, a stolen gun, for something but then i did the searches many times for the anchors
1: can i can i interrupt i'm sorry um do they contact you directly to ask you to do this or do they go through some uh, other program or
2: i can't discuss that i'm sorry okay, fair but, enough but let's just say i do quite a bit of it okay um, so anyway <laughs> it's I more just, intriguing yeah okay. I, I just can't discuss it fair enough um Anyway, so oh. I, I wanted to tell you this this is so funny. So I go down I I swim across to save air. I go straight down between the middle uh, pillars, right? Mm-hmm. So I go straight down near that. And then I just wanted to get my bearings and get my light squid away. Right when I get on the bottom, there's a bunch of big rocks where, you know, it, this was made, the pillars. So I'm, I am i kneel down on the bottom and I had my diving buddies looking at me face to face. That day I did have a diving buddy, now that I think of it. So anyway, he's looking at me face to face and we're kneeling down, but we're like, kind of wobbly and all of a sudden a half a dozen american eels that were like four and a half feet long came shooting out from under the rocks and my and one hit me right in my mask and bounced off the (laughs) mask and my dive buddy was hyperventilating he had never seen eels before and so he was so scared so i went it's okay it's okay and he's like okay okay (laughs) so um yeah you can tell when somebody's Getting excited when they start breathing really heavy and your bubbles naturally you breathe very relaxed underwater. But if something scares you or you're into stress, you know, you can just see your buddy's bubbles, they're breathing heavy and they're using you know a lot of energy. So, that
1: Hollywood trope that we see where there's a panic moment underwater and there's a diver and the bubbles start appearing really rapidly that's a real thing.
2: It is a real thing. Oh, wow. Okay, that's why we trade so much because we want to stop, think breathe relax yeah In your head over and over and over and know that you have air in your take if you have to come up from the bottom you can always take your weight belt off but you don't ever want to do that if you can help it because you'll shoot to the surface it could have a lung embolism you know because your expansion of your lungs going to the surface so but we train train for all of this yeah is that the bend's I've heard of the bends. Is um that- that's different. That's when you go too deep and you're you have a large nitrogen buildup in wow. your blood. Wow. So, um I've been bent once mm. um and in a chamber for sixteen hours. To recover? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It oh was my goodness. yeah. That was about I don't know, maybe fifteen years ago, fourteen years ago. Yeah. So,
1: I have to say, Annette, the, 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 the being calm and you know, not letting the adrenaline get the best of you that's a lesson that I think I need to take into <laughs> my everyday life. You know, a lot yeah. of times I, <laughs> it oh, takes anyway, a that's lot. A, that's it takes a, a
2: lot of training when you dive. If you don't, even if you go like a year without diving, you know, and you were very experienced, it takes you a while. I mean, when you think about it, being underwater diving is not like a normal thing for us. Do I have gills? My no, friend, no. My friends are always telling me, I'm, they call me Indiana Jones. That's my name they've given to me all this time. Oh my I, goodness. I told them that and yes. he
1: was like, no,
0: no. I, yeah,
2: they I, do.
1: I said we shouldn't use that, re- that reference, no, they but do. I was wrong. They call
2: me Indiana Jones and my friends a couple years back said, hey, I've been calling you that for so long. Here's an Indiana Jones hat. So, <laughs> nice. Cool. Yeah. I have a picture of it. Can
1: I ask what attracted you to diving in the first place? Like, were you a natural swimmer growing up? I mean, I, obviously I can. you were. But.
2: I would be happy to answer that question. So my grandfather was a great influence in my life. He was a caretaker for a private um, boys' school at the time when I was little called St. Mark's School. It's in Southboro, Massachusetts. They actually had land that they owned on a, um, a pond, in, well, actually a lake, and it's called um, Fort Meadows. And so as a child, I used to go with my grandfather um, after school, weekends, whatever. Um, he didn't own that they provided a camp um, for it, you know, because of all the work he did. Anyway, I was always holding my breath, swimming as deep as I could. I had my little mask at you know, seven years old. I was diving down at like 10, 50 feet. Well, then they had a program where they taught some of the guys Um, how it was actually scuba diving lessons and so I got to the point now I was about 12 where I could hold my breath down to about 20 feet totally relaxed and so when they were down there diving I thought I want to dive with the tank this isn't fair (laughs) I'm not a guy but I want to do it so I decided to when they went in for a dive to wait till they were up to about 20 feet and then I held my breath and I swam down Right next to them And they were on their <laughs> tanks And I waved I waved to them And I went You know And I hear what they do They talk about okay And all the symbols And I've heard that class At least I don't even know Over and over and over and over And I used to swim across The lake and back And you know I, It's just a little fish But the biggest thing for me was even as a child I had a strong interest is in adventure mm. So I would get down like 20 feet And then i see things like 5 feet below But I couldn't get to them mm. All kinds of cool stuff, right? Wow. Everything, t-shirts, ladders from boats But historic stuff, right? Sure. So I wanted to dive I wanted to get down deeper So I became a certified diver at 12 years old Wow! And, um, and I've been diving ever since and it was all because I couldn't reach the things that I wanted to. And, um, and I such a child, I have this sense of adventure, and I never lost it. I have it now, too. As a matter of fact, I'm sitting here after the meeting I went to this morning. I can't wait to dive again. And so I'm, I'm sitting here probably kind of hyper. I've had a lot of water. I've had a lot of coffee. But better than that is I have so much excitement to look forward to this spring and summer. So
1: what's your next planned uh, dive, can, can we ask?
2: Yes, so we train um, You know, for the rescue team But my project that I'm Doing is, um, excuse me for a second I'm talking so much, I lost It feels like I went diving because my mother's Dry, hold on, must be thinking about it Okay, so Years Years ago, I heard About, it just intrigued me, I was doing a uh, Archaeological project At Fort Dummer in Brattleboro, and I don't know, I have a very strong sense of, I'm, I'm very intuitive, I didn't know that, I didn't really realize it, but now, now I really do. Um, so anyway, I was doing this research with some archaeologists, they were doing a land research, and I was doing the diving part, because part of the, the, the fort, what was left of it, is underwater due to the dam being built in 1909, and the water they said to the, everyone, you know, up and down the river, that... Um, the water would only go up five feet, but it went up 15 feet. <laughs> yeah. And so the Broderbury Street Meadows was flooded, all kinds of things. There used to be an airstrip there for the doctors to fly in and out. There used to be a park now it's a beautiful place to kayak, and it's only like three feet deep with the water, but it flooded badly. And it affected everything, including archaeological sites for the Native Americans. So I was doing this um, research. I'm 87% Swedish. I'm not Native American, but my heart is with the same, how they feel about protection of nature, mm. water, et cetera. And I really dedicate my life to that and adventure. So anyway, I'm in Fort Dummer, and I see this research. I'm thinking, what the heck is this doing in here? And I was looking at this document and a a drawing of this rock with um, nine figures on it. And six were, you know, eagles. And one was a man. um, And one was um, a wolf. And then um, what looked like an eel. But I think it was really lampreys. So anyway, I thought, you know, it said Indian rock. And I'm like, what is that doing? Well, I said, forget Fort Dumber project and that's over I'm on to this I want to find this or rediscover it so mm-hmm. I did I spent a lot of time looking for it and um, over a long period of time first I used to do it a little when I had spare time in between my other diving projects but the year I found it I said to myself I'm going to find this I'm determined to find this it was very vague where it was it said approximately 100 rods from the <laughs> confluence you know all this stuff and that stuff right all my research and whatever. But I found a very important thing, and it really intrigued me to continue and really go. Everybody, I invited a couple of my friends to help me. They all said, no, you're wasting your time. You'll die before you ever find this. And they make fun of me. They're like, okay, Andy, see if you can find this one. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I did all my diving by myself. It was very shallow. It was like, you know, down to maybe 20 feet deep except when you first dive from the, the river, which I did from the Connecticut, and then coming up under the Route 5 bridge, you know, going across. And if you've ever been to the Marina Restaurant um, in Brattleboro, I was, you know, I, was, I had already done it from the confluence under the two bridges. I'm almost, you know, up directly across from there, and I'm thinking, I'm never going to find this, and I almost gave up. I almost gave up until... I saw something so amazing. I found a journal that this man wrote, and he described that he was, you know, coming from the Broderborough Retreat, and um, he described where he was walking and where he was, and where he, and he said, I could see Indian rock from my walk, and I was happy to see it was partly underwater, but then it filled up, you know, or we covered it because of what they happened with the dam 15 feet. So, that was like a Real inspiration to me. So I realized, and then I looked at the map of the area, what it used to look like, pictures before 1909, and there were few. And I could see it had a ledge that went like in a slant and an angle. And I was so excited because everybody thought it was a rock, but a lot of archaeologists and people call rock either single rock or, you know, a ledge or something and it was. It wasn't a single rock. So I was so inspired except for one problem. I knew that it had to be a certain amount down, like probably 16 feet or so from only I did all my calculations. So when I got down to where I was, I was only down like 11 feet. It's because 5 the last five feet I had to cover was under sand oh. from the West <laughs> River. So I became discouraged again. But cool. then... I found a single petroglyph. One day, right before dark, I was by myself. I had my GoPro. I was almost out of battery, almost out of air. The sun's going down, almost out of sunlight. And all of a sudden, when I was almost ready to give up... It's yeah.
0: It was like it's meant to be?
2: The weirdest thing happened. I just swiped. My, I said, this is my last swipe, you know, with my hand. You know, I, I did. Yeah. And there... Was this face (laughs) I'm emotional because I spent so much of my life looking for this and this round petroglyph exactly like the ones in Bellows Falls was there all by itself and I'm looking at it and it it was amazing and I'm looking at it and I said to myself I don't care if you're not Indian rock I'll take you (laughs) and I had tears in my mask I took one picture of it and when I did my battery died Mm. just as the sun went completely down. The sun rays really shined right across on its face right when I took that one photo and the next minute it was dark. And I had enough air to get back to my boat and you're always supposed to come up with at least 500 pounds and I broke the rule. I came up with 200 but it was very shallow yeah. and all of that happened and then I was inspired to keep looking. Of course. That's incredible. And then I did. I kept looking. The next spring I was fanning And moving all the sand, it's just like if you're a child and you're at the ocean, you build like a big castle and you're so excited, but it's kind of wet sand and all of a sudden, the whole thing just collapses. That's no. what it was like underwater. And you're just doing it with your hands. There's no, you um t- I used my hands, and I also used um, digging tools, fireplace—you know, the kind that you, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. I had all these marking poles that I would use um, to mark where I left off, and you know, so I could also tell if the sand level changed from the last time. Right. This one day, I found when I first found it, I, I was like so f- excited, and not—I wasn't going to say the F word. Don't worry, uh, <laughs> but, but I was so. So freaking excited though. And and so the first thing I, I did, again, the same thing. I got I, piles of sand all around me, mountains of sand that were like, I don't know, no, not six feet, probably. Five four and a half feet tall on each side of me <laughs> mm. and I'm like, oh my God, I gotta take a picture of this before the, before the current comes, right? So I take a picture and it was of the eagle, one eagle with its wings. and I went, oh my God, I took the picture and it was late, very really late. So the next day I was so excited to go back, I go back in and I'm out there and I, I, I went right to my poles where I marked everything and I start digging, except for one problem when I first looked. All the mountain of sand Hmm. was starting to dissolve. But then guess what? I did not realize it was the ball mountain release of the water for the annual kayaking races. (laughs) And the current got so strong for the race and my whole week of work just totally filled in. But I I didn't give up. But I could never to this day uncover the entire thing itself. It's, um, It's about eight feet long. Um, And I had I marked with my poles every single symbol I would find. I found them all individually, but to this day, I was never able to have it totally uncovered so I could take a picture of the whole thing at once.
1: Right. What 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 made this particular spot so concentrated with these things? Like, it was before the area was flooded that they were buried there. Is that
2: right? Yeah. So so they were carved there. Oh, they were carved into the rock. Yes. And so it wasn't a single rock. It was ledge. It was actually ledge. Yeah. Beautiful, schistic, black rock. And what's so amazing, I found out so much since then. There's a man by the name of Rich Hoshu. Um, He's a representative for the Native Americans with the state of Vermont. And also Chief Roger Longtoe, who lives actually um, in Jamaica, Vermont. And um, I told... There's a little bit more part to this, but I did tell another Native American um, about this, and I said, When I find this, when I rediscover it, I'm not going to tell anybody where it is. The first call I make is going to be from that boat, and I'm going to call you. And I did, I did. And I told no one else. I represented, I, I respected their culture and their heritage, and they are the ones that shared with me. White quartz is very, very special to them. Um, it represents energy. It represents a lot of things spiritually, and I would rather have you. I'm not Native American, but I've learned a lot from them, and I can't begin to tell you how much white quartz I found after when I got down. You know, eight, nine, ten inches. White quartz was everywhere around it, and I found out, you know, from Chief Longto that. It was a very spiritual. They would come where their ancestors had been um, and their elders, and they would do, you know, offerings and things like that for their elders and their fathers before them. And Roger, Chief Roger, um, Longtoat, and Rich, they explained to me and other Native Americans that this was a very specific area where the confluence was, and there was a little setback so that they could, whether they were coming north or going south, it's a little setback where they could bring canoes and things in and it was representing and I would rather have you get the exact what they said to me but basically there's whirlpools there Mm -hmm. and potholes and it represents a huge fishing place but no one really, really knows exactly who did it, why they did it, because it could be for other reasons too, like eagles. Eagles are so representative of so many things. And I didn't realize this, but this was so emotional for me. I found out, the day I, I rediscovered this, right, um, I was so emotional and Yet I wanted the Native Americans to know first So I went into the marina restaurant And they always saw me I would go in and have a salad after my diving And so this one day They said to me Annette I don't know if anybody ever told you this before, but when you're underwater, do you know that you have at least one eagle and usually three that are up in the tree over you? And um, they're looking down. And I said, really? I said, they must, because they always re, you know, swar- go down and grab fish and everything, they must be really confused about all my bubbles coming <laughs> to the surface. They must think I'm some kind of big fish. So they brought three. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but when I told Chief Longtoe that, he said, no, Annette, they were your protectors and you know it was a very spiritual kind of thing that he explained to me and i will have to tell you um this was probably one of the most emotional spiritual places i've ever dove in my entire life and the connection to the water the earth how they lived um, was very spiritual to me and now i'm working on a project in Bellas falls and it's where the um, Native American petroglyphs are there. They're above, a large amount of them are above. And on a rescue about 14 years ago, I was searching for a missing kayaker with a police officer. And with our lights side by side, your mind is geared up and the adrenaline's flowing because you want to find this person and possibly save them. But there were two petroglyphs I saw. And they were just like the one I found in the West River. And just like the ones on the land above. It's been 14 years and they just got a grant to make the Bellis Falls, um, it will be a designated nationally protected site, those petroglyphs and protected forever. But I also wanted, so this grant, I'm diving to see if I can rediscover at one time the water level was different and I want to try to refine those two I saw 14 years ago there's no documentation of any others. So, so you right. saw
1: them in passing and now you're interested in getting back to find them again.
2: Yes, I found them while I was searching for a missing person. Right. So when you're going side by side with your light it just caught my eye on the ledge it, You know, because it was way before I found the ones I did before I knew anything about the history of the petroglyphs but wow. they're about 10 inches wide just like the others are mm. and the same you know the eyes, no nose a little mouth and Feathers and the one I found, you know, and the difference between the ones that represent, you know, the feathers and the headdress. Roger, Longtoe Chief could tell you and Rich um, about that. I don't want to say anything wrong about it um, historically, but I will tell you my very first dive looking for those this past summer. I had the most craziest experience. I was mm-hmm. going by the whirlpool. You could see from the bridge, the top of the bridge. I went into, into it. It was 16 feet deep. When I get down to the bottom of it, I mean, it is carved so smooth. There were bowling ball types of rocks that were so round like a bowling ball from thousands of years of swirling around. Oh, man, and when that's they cool. got to the bottom, it was all white quartz, about three feet of white quartz from their wow. offerings over the years. And... Um, It was so amazing, that first dive, to see. I just felt the same way I did when I was looking for the petroglyphs in in, um, the West River. There was something very, I can't really explain it. You're so in tune with nature. You're so in tune with the fish. And, you know, I forgot, I didn't even answer your question about the giant fish under the bridge because I talked about the eels. But where I am there, and that made me think of it, um, there's a lot of carp under that toll bridge. The carp, people would be totally in intimidated because they're about four and a half feet long or so and their scales kind of look unusual um and they're fast and you know if you're not used to seeing them they're kind of scary i have never seen anything bigger than six foot eels and um probably four and a half feet long carp but this past year i saw three Sturgeon. Oh, nice. Oh my gosh, short nosed sturgeon. We only have short nosed ones. Because, in the Connecticut? Yes. I'm so excited about this. Um, the first one I saw was just south of the Vernon Dam. Have you ever been on route, you know, down by the dam in Vernon? Like just south of it, and there's like a picnic area and a lot of sand, and you can park there. And this fisherman told me that he caught one <laughs> with his friend, disabled friend. And so it took him 45 minutes to get in. He pulled it to the shore, took pictures of it, and then he let it go. He knew enough what to do. And right. I met I met him there, and he took me over to where exactly they found it. I did a dive there, and guess what? It was about thirty-five feet deep. It was all gravel, nice hard packed gravel, not yucky mud. And there were carp there, and the sturgeon were there feeding. Mm. They feed like carp. The little you know, they turn the rocks over and whatever. Right. And it's so important for us. They're federally protected. In these fast releases that they do from the, you know, to hold back the water, it'll only be like one and a half. It'll be nice and slow. And then they hold it back and they let that freaking water go. Seven. Like, just, it's horrible. Because you know what it's doing? It's wiping away, washing away all the eggs. I've seen it and I filmed it. The bass lay on their eggs. Sturgeon lay their eggs in that gravel. That is unacceptable. And I hope, and I'm not a political kind of person, but for protection of the river and the fish and the sturgeon, I really, this is their relicensing. They have got to stop this fast release that's causing these problems with these fish and the terrible erosion on the river. Um, I'm diverting away from my creepy exciting things (laughs) but but it is exciting to see sturgeon because they're very pretty historic looking so I saw that first one in Vernon then I I was in Northfield, Northfield Mass there's a bridge down there Um, oh god I can't remember It Shell, Shell Bridge I think it is and at one time before it was blown away in the hurricane not blown away but you know the water took it away it had four pillars I have pictures of my car of this and on my phone. But anyway, um, what happened was I was diving there, and it, by the pillars, it goes down to 62 feet deep, and the visibility that day was 30 feet. I had sun over me. It was so amazing. I could see 30 feet across, sometimes even more, and big carp. Once again, big big amounts of them, they follow me because my fins are kicking up the food back of me. So I can turn around and I might have four or five of them with me and
0: that would be so scary. Out Oh, oh no. my god. They
2: don't hurt you. But the very first time I saw them, you know, before the visibility days were good. Right. Well, you, know, you could see like a foot and you <laughs> see like you don't see the head, you don't see the tail, you just see big scales. Right. But now Now I see them all the time And they like me They like me so much That my regular diving places When I jump in the water They show up And bass do too They're very sociable And they know I represent food So anyway um, The sturgeon There was a sturgeon With them There That was um, in Northfield Right where that bridge is And then Earlier this year Westminster Westminster Wow That is so exciting They're four and a half feet long, all of them I saw. They live to over 100 years old. I was going to ask the age, wow. And they're native to the Connecticut River. And the Atlantic salmon, they grow to be 10, 12 feet long. They are south of Turner's Falls. They can't get up over the rocks. Mm -hmm. Everything I've seen are these short-nosed ones because the water's cleaned up so much and they need to be protected. And they're so amazing.
1: So their population is is bouncing back a little bit, you're saying?
2: Well, in 40 years of diving in the river... I've never seen them, but that had to do with the visibility. Okay. But I'm worried about this fast release. That could right. be a reason why we didn't see a lot more before because their eggs, they lay their eggs in the gravel. Right. And so these rapid releases, that is destroying their eggs. It's right. It's going to wash right. them away like it does with the bass so eggs.
0: So what is that? They just open the dams and let the water go really mm-hmm. fast and they close them.
1: Mm-hmm. And is that for, like, what, for farmland down in Connecticut and Massachusetts? Yeah, why would they do
2: that? It's for generating electricity. Oh, okay. And um, we had a big discussion about that this morning. Because they're relicensing. They're looking for relicensing. Um, for Light. And, um, you know, it's been recently sold. And it's very important people get involved in this. So the fishermen and everyone come forward and landowners, they need to get in touch with like Connecticut River Conservancy or Environmental Protection they need to put their word in because I've seen where it's all mud on the side people can't get their boats in and out kayaks in and out because it's real low and then i see they open the dam i've been underwater when they've done this before and it's so intense it tumbles me and i crash into rocks i've lost fins that have ripped off my feet i've lost my i did that twice this past year and my mask if i turn sideways it whips off my face but the most important thing is what it does to the fish and those eggs this is a critical most people don't know about this, but I see it underwater.
1: And they're protected species, you said. Yes, the by the
2: federal government. They're feder- federally protected. Wow. So you
1: think there'd be a way to enforce that? Like, do they have a particular breeding season? That I,
2: I- would have to say, um, there's a scientist that I've worked with. His name is Micah, and you can get in touch with him through the Connecticut River Conservancy. If anybody's hearing this today, I'm sure there are, I know you have a lot of listeners, I would really really please if you see a sturgeon report that you saw it if you catch it be really careful let it back in the water but more important also or just as important is to report what you're seeing with this rapid release and erosion please it's our voices together that are going to stop this
1: you hear that almost canonites we need your voices on this one it's good to know
2: Yes. So I kind of got away from like a little bit of like creepy and stuff, but this is important. And you know what? When you first see sturgeon, like your friends did under the toll bridge with a great big giant fish, it's very possible they saw sturgeon because they are very primitive looking and carp. But so far, I mean, I'll let you know down the road if I ever see, I've done thousands of hours in the river and I haven't seen anything yet anyway Mm -hmm. that's bigger than that.
1: Well, well, let's, let's change general. gears then. That's that's so cool um th- to learn that. Um but do you guys mind if we do a little um I don't know, not a 180, but can we get into some um a- a outside of the country or you know, uh, more um exotic kind of locales and things like that? Sure. That would be awesome.
2: Yes. So, um some of the things I've done over the years. Um, well, this is kind of quick. I'll just tell you quick. Um, so, my daughter Christine and I, um, we were actually doing a project in the Amazon River. Um, we flew into Lima, um, but we had we had problems in our airplane caught on fire, and we <laughs> that
1: sounds like a problem. It was
2: um, electrically on fire. Oh my goodness! And there weren't many passengers on the plane, but we were all everyone was sleeping except me because I woke up to my eyes burning and I looked and I couldn't see to the other end of the plane. It was a large plane. So I rung the button for the, um, stewardess to come and she came down and I, 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 couldn't speak Spanish, but my daughter speaks, but she was sleeping. And I just kind of, you know, showed her my eyes for my eyes. And then I, you know, and I pointed, you know, no light. And so pilot. I said, pilot, pilot. So she went in and she talked to the pilot. But then in the meantime, my daughter woke up and I really thought we were going to crash because we had to come down really low and we were going over the Andes and there was no place to land. We actually had to land in Lima, but that's not what we were supposed to. We were supposed to land in Iquitos. But we didn't because we had to do an emergency landing. Oh. So anyway, um, the plane was, it, it, electrically, it smelled really, really bad. We put our masks on. We got all prepared. Um, the pilot instructed what to do if we had a crash. Because it, he also announced that there was no place to land because of the mountains. My daughter, thank God, was a, spoke fluent, fluent Spanish. And she interpreted what he said to me. Because I was the only one that didn't speak Spanish. Anyway, lo and behold, miraculously, we did... We were able to do an emergency landing in Lima, where at the time there was an unrest in the country. But we won't talk about that. Let's stick to the diving. Um, we finally made our way over to this expedition we're supposed to meet up with. We did um, our, our mission was to do freshwater dolphin research. And freshwater dolphins are very different than the dolphin in the ocean here. They are smaller. And there's gray ones, and there's semi-colored ones. And they're very, very different. There has not been a lot of studies on them. Anyway, we didn't know this at the time, but my daughter and I, uh, we were on the research you know, riverboat, and then we had kayaks on the riverboat. And this was the time of the year the Amazon goes up 40 feet um, the water and then when it goes way down, this on the spring and what it goes way down, So the only time you can ever kayak into these villages remote villages. Yeah. So um, my daughter and I took this kayak to, down one of these channels just kind of getting the scope of, you know, filming the freshwater dolphin, how far down these little areas they would go, etc. And um, all of these people were lined up. I brought the pictures with me today as a matter of fact. Um, all these villages, they don't see people maybe once a year and we're all like they're all lined up and they could see us coming for a long long time and then I said to Christine I said honey look I said they have they have an anaconda Mm. nine men we're holding an anaconda all spread out, all holding this bulging giant snake that took that many men to hold. And it's the way that they, th- to honor you, that it's special that they did that just for you. They caught that anaconda. <laughs> I, we didn't know this, That's right? That's the way they greet you. And um, they it's were so. A live,
1: a live snake that they're holding?
2: Uh, yes. Wow. It was a, a live snake. I have a picture of that, too. <laughs> oh, cool. So I, I just was so shocked, right? I'm like, oh, my God, what are they going to do to us? Are they friendly or not friendly? <laughs> we don't know. We can't. My daughter could speak Spanish, but she couldn't speak their language. So anyway, um, we, we proceeded, and they were friendly, and they all came running up to us and so excited to see us. And uh, my daughter and I had um, very unique T-shirts on that day. I had one of a wolf. She had one that, that showed the earth with all, like, polar bears and all kinds of things and um they immediately ran up to us and these little kids were like petting our boobs and petting our <laughs> stomachs and you know they think these animals are real with fur they don't have anything like that there except oh, you know, wow. monkeys whatever so i'm trying to make this short but this is crazy because this is really crazy um the uh they started tugging on our shirts because they wanted our shirts and i said to christine i have a sports bar on what do you got on she goes sports bar. I said. We're going to teach them a lesson. We will give them our shirt, but let's look at their ne- look at what they have around their necks. They have these incredible necklaces with beads and looks like piranha.
1: Yes, we will share photos of these on our Instagram just so you all know.
2: Yes, I brought some with me for you to do that. Thank you for doing that. You're welcome. And uh, so we uh, we traded, I won't show you the picture of what we look like with just our brows on, but um, <laughs> we traded our clothes literally off our back. For their necklaces And they got it They understood what we're doing And I was able to do that And they were so happy And then we ended up Really getting along great with them Except for one next thing Um, We were walking along Trying to do photos Of the freshwater dolphin Along the shoreline um, Of the river In the jungle And of course There's poison snakes And there's poison frogs And they're beautiful You know, bright yellow Bright red black all kinds of poisonous things tarantulas are huge anyway um but that's besides the point on the dieting thing uh as we're walking along doing this all of a sudden um we were right near the river and these men they came running toward us and they they grabbed us and when they grabbed us and they pulled us back i said christine christine what are they going to do to us? Are they going to hurt us? You know, let's plan on this. Let's plan not on it, but let's plan for this event. And so they pulled us away. And when they pulled us away, we couldn't figure it out and they kept pointing to the water and they kept pointing to the dolphin, you sh- no, like shaking their heads and thank god we had interpreter, interpreted explained after we did not know this they have a lot of missing women and missing females along the river and their belief for them is that they they firmly totally believe that women that go too close to the river are taken by the dolphin and they become dolphin and that they're in the water and they're no longer humans. They've really believed this and you know, it's their myth, whatever, but they do have a lot of missing women and that's what they feel. Um, so here we were thinking they were going to hurt us, but they were trying to protect us. They were preventing you from yeah. becoming dolphins. Yes. So that's was pretty scary. That's even very though, kind. yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> I have had some other strange, strange things happen. Um, I was in um, Iquitos, um, Iquitos, Ecuador, um, another place, and um, this was very strange. The last night we were there, supposed to fly out the next day from this expedition of a couple weeks, we're all, we want to celebrate, and they have guns, you know, people with guns protecting the outside, and you can't, go, it's sad, very sad, they let these people come in, if you have enough to money to, to buy a dinner, what's so sad about this, because I'm all about sharing and equal, um, but they try to protect you from anybody coming in to hurt you. So they're standing outside with these guns, and I'm talking about, assault weapon type of looking things and we had this wonderful dinner and we were all comparing notes and thanking everybody for their you know being together and all of a sudden these men came in with masks on and they pointed their guns at us and kept like trying to get us to come up from the tables, there were eight of us, and move from the table and go with them. And so I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? You know, they're taking us, they're kidnapping us. And so they, they, they were pushing us and pushing us. But then this very weird thing happened. Right before we got to the door, they handed us masks. I'm like, what? I said, Christine, thank God she can speak Spanish. Thank God. I was going to have a heart attack. I thought we were going to be kidnapped. But anyway, what happened was, which are trying to protect us in keto. The volcano erupted. I have a picture of it with me right in back of me here, and just so you could see it, it erupted. It wasn't fire. You could see the lava coming down, you know, toward the city, and we were there. And so they were trying to get us to to leave quick and give us masks to put on, and they put us in a car to help us because outdoors, if you've ever seen anything with volcanic dust, mm-hmm. volcanic dust, it's stone. It weighs a ton. Yeah. If you breathe that into your lungs, you could die oh so these were like filtration masks to keep you safe yeah Wow. they were trying to keep us safe and they had to use the guns to, they thought to like push us like to get us to leave the table <laughs> and they put us in a car and they drove us away from the restaurant and wow. they they drove us a long way away for safety <laughs> so i mean that's the last day from the diving <laughs> expedition right and uh that was quite a way to end your diving expedition
0: right. imagine if you didn't have a, an interpreter if my daughter wasn't there with me,
2: I probably wouldn't be here to talk to you about this tonight. But uh, yeah, it was it was a very amazing experience. I've had a lot of them outside the country. Venezuela. I've been to so many third world countries. Venezuela was a whole freaking um, nightmare for me. I had to take a little plane um, to my site where I was going to dive and the little landing strip um, the pilot, could, I couldn't speak Spanish and, and I was looking around at everything and he took us Hand and he pushed my face away into the opposite direction. But I didn't know why he did that, and I wanted to know, so I looked. Unfortunately, I wish I didn't. There were all these planes or packed on the side; they were all shot up. People hanging outside of oh. the windows, dead. Um, that was the beginning of that trip. Um, wow. And then I, you know, then I, I was there for two weeks, I think, or maybe a little longer. For that, it was to look for a shipwreck. We found it, by the way. It was really cool. Um, but I kind of was worried about coming back to, um, you know, I was hoping I wouldn't be involved in... I don't know why there were drug dealers or what they were. I have no idea. Cartel, I don't know. But there were probably four planes that had were all shot up with people. Wow. Around them dead. Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: What was the, what was the shipwreck that you were looking for?
2: So... My friend, um, from Florida had done a lot of dieting out there, and the fisherman, um, and he speaks Spanish, he's part of Spanish, and so he, they they contacted him to tell them, because they don't have any good they don't have side skis sorted, they don't have divers mm. even there in that area, so remote um, they kept getting their fishing nets caught on something and it was down about 80 feet deep and they had no way to find out what it was, but this fishing is a very important way to survive there, very important and so they knew where it was and they marked it and they got in touch with my friend John and um he asked, John asked me if I would come and dive with him and bring a whole bunch of equipment with me, side scan, sonar, and all these other things I have because I don't have access to it there. So not the things we needed anyway. So um, I did, and when I got there and we were out, that was you know after what happened with the, the landing strip, the way it looked. But when I got there, John and I, and this is an amazing story, I had a very bad start, I won't go into the details, but the night before I had about $35,000 worth of equipment. I lugged it all the way into the Kennedy Airport Hotel and my flight left at five o'clock with the Venza airline. And what happened was I went out in the morning, lugged all my stuff out, had to go back in to check out. And the man that checked me out kept me forever on the phone, you know, making believe my MasterCard wouldn't work. I went back out, got my vehicle, pulled up to the airport from the beginning of my trip the man opens up. He helps me like to get my luggage out. My trunk was empty, oh. totally empty. I almost didn't go. I had my pocketbook on my back, no clothes, no suitcase, no luggage, and I lost all my equipment. The man that was working that day, he was a dark colored man. He looked at me. He said, "Where did you say last night? I told him. He said, you're not the only one this has happened to this man thank god he was there i started to cry i was so upset i just couldn't believe it i looked so forward to this and you know what he said you're alive do you have your tickets with you i said they're in my pocketbook he goes you get on that plane and you go you go it's gonna work out and it was his words (laughs) i still went with nothing with nothing. nothing just my pocketbook and my tickets and that equipment never recovered, obviously? Nope, no, no, oh. no. I called my insurance agent, you know, when I, but, you know, I mean, Spanish speaking, it was crazy. Yeah. So when I got there, anyway, lo and behold, this really nice person, her sister owned a store, they're not open on Sundays, and um, for 82 American dollars, I got like 15 outfits because everything was so cheap there. Cool. But the, back to the wreck, this was crazy. This, I swear to God, over my dead body, this is the truth. And it's one of the most inspirational. I've had so many things. Here I am, there, with nothing. No equipment. I'm so sad. John picked me up in the morning, the dock. We go out. I have nothing. And he had a tank, an extra tank, enough equipment so I could dive. Our very first dive, we went down. We were 82 feet deep. We had knives. We couldn't tell at first what the heck this was. The fishermen had it marked perfectly over all the years. We got to, it was all this netting, all these old fishing nets from many, many years. It was at least 20, 30 feet out and we had a cut to get into the nets to see what it was. We had no idea what, what it was, a plane, whatever. This is the truth and this is amazing. There's a lot of emotional things happening underwater. John and I, it, we could tell it was a ship, and when we came to it, I started, you know, I could see it was kind of like a bluish color, but then I could see something that was kind of white in between. I figured it was the name of the ship. He was right next to me. I took my hand, and I moved the silt, A, then an N, then an N, e, T, T, e. The ship's name was Annette, my uh-huh. name. And John looked at me, and I looked at him. And I'm thinking nobody would ever believe this, uh-huh. ever. So all those terrible things that happened to me, right. and that man talking me into going, wow. we find the shipwreck, and the wreck's name was Annette.
1: Oh, wow. That's a that's a good story crazy
2: coincidence so, no that's, that's it was a like, creep it was the creepy part about it was it was so you know we kept cutting the nets and cutting the nets so we didn't know what we were going to cut big monster we didn't know but
1: don't tell me it kept on reading it and Spalding was the next word
2: <laughs> no okay <laughs> good it was just a net just a net that was enough I mean just thinking about it right now talking to you about it, it was so emotional wow and that took away all the pain and everything of what happened to me you know at the airport and it all worked out just like that man said.
0: Right, that's that's a good start. That's crazy. You yep. guys,
1: let's take a quick break, sure. okay? Um, I just got to reset here. Um, this is almost canon and let me fill up your water. We'll be right back. Thank you. Everybody, we are back here on Almost Cannon, Bank Roberts with Nico Billiards, and of course Annette is here with us, and wow, I can't wait to, to get back into it, so um, what um, do you want to talk about next? What should we talk about?
0: Oh, next. I just I just wanted to add, Uh going back to this, this shipwreck with all the um, nets on it, this, where, where, where was this?
2: Venezuela. Okay. Puerto La Cruz, off the coast of Puerto La Cruz.
0: Okay, I for some reason I was thinking it was in a river, like like uh, in the Amazon or something. But this must have been like off the coast.
2: This is off the coast in Venezuela, off of Puerto La Cruz. <clears throat> okay. I didn't find a shipwreck in the Amazon. I just found beautiful dolphin right. and the largest fish, freshwater fish that exists in the world. They are big. Yeah, I knew that the mermaid story. Um,
0: I, I hadn't heard heard that about women changing into the mermaids or uh, into the dolphins but i've heard that they i don't know where i heard this from but that they believe um sometimes they mistake the arapaima for for mermaids and that they they kind of they try to like draw you to, towards the water to drown you.
2: that is what they the interpretation um that the person that was with us um, he said that they try to draw you to the water Right, the yeah, it's the same there may, be, there may be some more to this That I don't know about the mermaids You know, mermaid part But he said they draw you to the, the do- Don't get too close because the dolphin Draw you to the water But then that's why they were protecting us To not go right, into the right. water But You know, I, I have to say I told you Something just came to my mind It's very, very creepy really creepy i just don't want to scare anyone out there um (laughs) no we want you to this is an unsolved unsolved creepy 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 so i don't know if any of you um if you guys have ever been up route 100 where you go through um plymouth you know on your way to killington to go skiing sure so yeah yeah yeah. you know how you go by lake rescue oh wow this is close yeah so lake rescue and then there's the next little lake echo lake And then there's, like, the other, you know, Plymouth, there's a whole line of them, right? Yep. So, I love history and archaeology. And I really wanted to dive this lake because I have maps of all of them. And...
0: There's a lot of, um, Revolutionary War activity up there.
2: Yes. And... That I don't know if you ever noticed earlier really when you're on that narrow strip going along the river, but over the years, many, many years, even before cars, there were different accidents would happen with wagons and stuff like that. And I read this thing about a covered wagon um, going off and down and all of that. So I asked my two friends, Larry Clark and uh, Debbie Jackson, if they would go diving there with me. And um, they're always game. Well, most of the time, except looking for the petroglyphs of mud. But anyway, um, so they, we were together. Larry is a master diver, is myself, and my friend Debbie, both very experienced. So anyway, we're down, um, we le- right where the boat ramp is. If you're not familiar with this, it's crazy. But right where the boat landing is, you just have to go out at maybe 50 feet. And it drops down, to about 95 feet deep and it's very creepy creepy because it gets very dark but you know the light filters out after about 30 feet down the water is kind of tannic a little bit anyway um what ended up happening was i was right next to debbie larry was in front of me there were trees that were virgin sized you know 400-year-old trees, etc. Very wide, very, very wide. And all of a sudden, I saw something that looked like... It had fairly large scales. It was black. Um, What is that snake called? um, We have them here. They're black. They're not racers, but they're kind of... Garter snakes? No, these are black. Um, Oh, my God, I can't think of the name of it. But, But anyway, this is what happened. I saw... I mean these are huge trees The circumference is amazing And I looked I didn't see its head But I saw its body It was like a Not an eel It was something I'd never seen before To this day And I will never in my life Dive in that lake again Echo Lake The circumference of this thing As it was slithering around the log was a good probably six to eight inches wide it looked like a serpent kind of body like but it was it was slithering around this log and when larry when i saw it i was shocked i didn't see its head i didn't see its tail because when i saw it i grabbed debbie's arm so hard and larry's when i put it out to them i got they had fingerprints and purple on their arms um And you know how you can't shoot to the surface or you'll get, you know, an embolism or, you know, a lung embolism. You have to come up slow. Mm. Let me tell you, stop, think, breathe and relax is going through my head a lot because I was really scared. I'd never seen anything like that. And to this day, I haven't. I will never dive in that lake again because when we calculated how long it had to be, how many... Rings of it slithering it was slithering it was shut when i shine my light on it was shiny um i can't think of the name of that kind of snake but it's a large snake it's not it doesn't harm you but they're big and we have them in new england but they're you know i don't think this the, the scales on this thing were huge um i've never seen anything like it and i never saw the head i never saw the tail because. I, I squeezed them so hard and I, I went, me, you know, we, we have sign language, I went, me, out of here. Mm. And we went back in to the shore slowly. We didn't come to the surface really fast because I didn't want to get, I took a lot of discipline not to shoot to the surface on that one. I don't know what it was. I've never seen anything like it since. And I never will dive in there again because. And what was the length that you calculated it to be at? About eighteen feet. Oh that's my God. Ju- And that's just what we calculated. Oh. You know, because of the, the width of the tree. Because I was, what caught my eye was, I was amazed at the size of these logs. And I saw part of the wagon. I think I saw part of the covered wagon. It had old canvas. I was so excited, and, but it, it looked like it was like. Bent up against this tree. And because I was so overwhelmed by how amazing these trees were, right. old growth timber, yeah. that's when I, it caught my eye. Because we have very, very bright, bright lights because it's, you know, down that deep is very dark. And my light is bright. I mean, it is so bright because of my search and rescue. And there's no question. No question at all. Right now, thinking about it, I have the creeps. I have goosebumps right now. Right. And that was about 20 years ago. I will never go back there again.
1: So Uh, there's an 18-foot snake at the bottom of Echo Lake. It wouldn't be
0: a snake. I would not
2: say it was some type of an eel kind of serpent kind of thing. It wasn't a snake. I I keep referring to that... The serpent. That um, species of snake because... Because it's so shiny, the the scales on the snake's name. I'm trying to think of it. And I, I knew what it was, but I can't think of it right now. But anyway, it's um. They're in New England. It's the largest snake. It's it doesn't have venom or anything, and it's black with black, really shiny, very shiny. Hmm. So it reminded me of that snake and the shininess because. I've seen that snake that I'm telling you about. Mm. It all coiled up and then I saw it uncoiling it about maybe five feet long or so. Um, I've seen them. All I could think of was this was like a monster a monster. Because the scales on this thing were they were like huge. I never seen anything like it. And I never saw the head and never saw the tail. Have you told this to anyone else? No. I don't think so, because you know you don't like to say right. that you see something you're no, afraid. Yes.
0: But, but you, I mean, I was, this is this is an amazing story.
2: I I was scared, and I don't want to. You know, a lot of people they have a camp there for kids to swim on the other side. And
0: you was know, this I, Echo I, Lake, or was this the one Echo.
2: above e- Echo? No, Echo, Echo. <laughs> I'll never forget it. Right off the boat landing, probably fifty feet. It wow. was crazy, and my friends. Thank God. I mean, I never would dive that deep alone anyway. Did you say 90 feet? It was about 82. 82, well, it's, it goes down past 82, but where I saw this was about 82 feet in my logbook. Because um, I would log everything that I'm doing and what, and what I see. And um, I love your studio. It's so comfy. And I, I can tell <laughs> you have a little fire. fire go. It's so relaxing and comfortable in your studio here. Oh, good. It's wonderful. And I feel safe not, <laughs> thinking about that thing I saw. I never shared it with anyone because I really, I wanted to, but then I was afraid. that I didn't want people to be afraid, you know. I didn't want them to be afraid to go to the camp and have their little kids, you know. Now I'm telling you guys that it's going to be on the air, but <laughs> all right, everybody, it was 20 years ago, and it was in the deepest part. I don't think you ever have to worry because nobody's ever been swallowed and missing. <laughs> so, right. And I'm on the underwater rescue team, and I would have found out. Oh, so man. don't worry, but I'll tell you what. You won't see me diving in there ever, ever, ever. It was my first and last time.
1: Is there any documented species in New England that could, that could co- conform or, or,
2: believe me, believe so. me. After what I saw, I did a lot of research to try to somehow find something that would have an explanation for what I saw. Yeah. I mean, I I went around the entire circumference of Lake Champlain right. solo yeah. in my kayak. Um, this is about oh god, maybe 14, 15 years ago, and I met a lot of people, you know, including a minister and his wife that saw you know champ. I, I have an open mind. I never saw champ in my diving, and I've been in I don't know probably almost two hundred times I've dove in the lake deep water not so deep but I did have a personal experience um, that really made me wonder and now I have a very very open mind um being, I was on a search looking for a missing student, and I was there for ten days. And um, sorry, this is Lake Champlain now, or yeah, Lake okay. Champlain. I'm yeah. shifting from. Echo. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. I'm bit shifting from my scary story. Oh my god, oh my god. And this search in Lake Champlain I did was after seeing that, and um, I kept thinking to myself, at least I kind of have an idea what it might look like. But this thing was so scary. It was so wide, so big, and it was so. Sl- it was just. Slithering slowly around these huge old growth logs, I was like God, so, scared. So, I was so scared. That image so creepy. It's image in my mind. I did not have an underwater camera, unfortunately. With me, none of us did, but we all saw it, the three of us. Um, but anyway, back to Lake Champlain. Mm. When I was on the search looking for this missing person, this wonderful um, ferry um he takes the he was taking us back and forth on the ferry to get our tanks filled and everything and he was so wonderful and he told me that you know he had over 50 people on this boat one day and they all saw Champ. they whatever it was but he told me you know it was very long at the surface mhm wow and not for not for a short time it was on the surface he said for at least 5 minutes and everybody you know saw it but then you know, So I, I had an experience about two years after that. I have a wonderful friend who lives in Plattsburgh, New York. He is a um, 40-foot sailboat, motor sailor. I would go up with he and his wife and, and sail all over the lakeshift plane, dive all these different places. But this one time, we were in the water depth from ferris rock um going north we're in open water in the center of the lake where it's the deepest it's about 400 feet and we i think we see how 80 feet um that day that we're and we're sailing right up the middle of the lake and they have a they have a um a unit underneath the sailboat that will go off if, and it's very accurate if you, you know, there's a lot of rocks that come up from the bottom and things like that you might be able to hit, but we're in the open ocean and I was standing right next, because I always am interested in the depth, they don't dive I do, and I'm always interested in what, how deep is it under us because I, I dove and found a lot of um, Valcourt Island, found a lot of artifacts I donated to the historical site, but that's another nice story but this is a creepy one This is so creepy. So, all of a sudden, Dawn's at the wheel. I'm right next to him. I'm looking at the depth, and that alarm went off. It it went off like, it's so loud. And I'm looking, right? 382, 382, 390, 390. Six feet, six feet, eight feet, 12 feet. And it lasted for like, I don't know, maybe three or four minutes. I'm like, Don, look at this, look at this, and he goes, he goes. There's no rocks out here. I've been out here for all my life. There's no rocks out here. I said, Look at Don, look at, look at this depth. And so I, I said, Just watch that. And I started to hang over the side of the boat. You know, the sailboat to see if i could see something because it was only six feet under us
1: you should be able to see something, but
2: because the boat is it's quite deep in the water okay. you know it's a big boat so it probably with the the boat and the depth it was probably more like 12 14 feet down so i couldn't see it okay but then it just stopped Done. the alarm
1: went off and you were back to two three hundred feet
2: it was crazy.
1: Wow. It
2: lasted for a few minutes. It was just going, and then went back to 380.
1: We should explain to our non New England listeners that Champ is kind of Lake Champlain's version of the Loch Ness Monster. It's. Yes. There's been sightings. People believe, other people don't believe, but we just, I just wanted to clarify that for people who don't know.
2: Yes, and even it goes back hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Even Native Americans and mariners on the lake have done drawings and recorded it. Well, not, the Native Americans were not. The same; They don't really put any written documentation. It passes down through their verbal. Mm-hmm. But the, even hundreds of years ago, there's evidence. I mean, there's drawings of mm-hmm. these things, right? So anyway, that was kind of a... That's the closest I would have to say. I've never seen it, but that experience. And Don said, I've been out on this lake for more than 40 years. And he said, I have never had this happen to me.
0: Could you get a distance could, no. Of like how
2: no. Long? Well, I don't, I asked him that. I, we were going seven knots and it lasted for about three minutes. Hmm. So it was cruising with us, I think, underneath right. the boat. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. And
2: somehow, like, you know, dolphin like to cruise, you know, out in the ocean yeah. with us, but this was under us and for about three minutes. So, you know, when the alarm started, It's kind of hard to know if it was going slower or faster. I don't know. But that's the closest I have personally ever come to um, actually seeing, getting the chance to see it. But I met, I I spent three and a half weeks. I did the entire circumference of Lake Champlain, all of it, over 500, I think it was 508 miles. And I met along the way because I would pull my kayak out and I didn't meet a lot of people because I started the day after um, Labor Day. I wanted to do it, you know, solo quiet memory of my friend that drowned there who was a student uh, Jefferson Arms in Westminster um, he was a political science major in his senior year um, he had an accident going, uh, they, they always went across and they said well but a bad storm came, mm. very unexpected and the, the waves went up to six feet high and he oh, wow. was never found and I did it in his memory Wow, but yeah, it was a lot of experiences out there because a the few people I did meet, they talked about CHAMP. This one couple right near the end of my trip, probably three days after three and a half weeks, almost ending on the New York side in Keysville. I started there, went north and all around the lake and came back up and he was this minister and his wife and they saw me kayaking with all my stuff in the back and you know and they said dear dear come here so I went went over and they were so sweet and I have their names in my log book but they said What are you doing? I said how I was just finishing the whole circumference of the lake. And so and they're like, well, where do you sleep? How do you do that? You know, I explained I Pull my boat out, set up my tent, sleep in my tent, write in my logbook. I go to bed at dark. I get up at sunrise. And they're like, well, you can bring your boat right up on that property. And then I did. And I set up my tent, they want to make me dinner or whatever. And I said, no, 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 I've got to stick to my, this is a wild trip. I'm not going to, the end, have anything like that. And so they understood, they want to give me a coffee. Nope, 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 I have everything with me. So they were so sweet, but um, the man was a minister, and um, her, the husband, and and um, they had a son, and they went into the most explicit detail. And this was, um, you know where Essex, you know how they keep St. Charlotte and Essex, you know, Virgin's, that whole area. It, it, There's the narrowest part of the lake right there. It's the deepest part. It's like 515 or something in that little narrow part. And it was there um where they were out in their boat a rowboat no no boat boat and they were fishing and um they told me what they saw and then as they got closer to the shore they said You could see the water was all like Mucky and murky and whatever it was It was eating they think Eating the big long weeds that grow Because you could see They said oh bare spots where like weeds Were gone and such and So that's my closest personal experiences Meeting over the years People that seem so Authentic it's so real And so you really have to wonder but that day On that sailboat whoa, it was pretty crazy
0: Yeah so Well what would you th- what, do you have any idea like what do you what, if, if, Ch- if Champ was real what do you think it would be
2: prehistoric I think so because I firmly believe that where it's fairly deep you know 400 something feet when they put um, expeditions with submarines underneath there just it's crazy because it's it's all gravel and rock and in this deep heart I believe that Lake Champlain, Lake George were connected thousands of years ago. And I firmly believe, and of course we had salt water, the oldest reef in the United States. Where is it? Grand Isle. Remember Isle Lamotte, the oldest reef in the world, Lake Champlain, wow. north, north of where this is. So when you think about that, and it was salt water, And that was that's totally verified because I found fossils in the rocks myself. Um, You know, squid beak that when squid. uh, I learned a lot over the years from what I found. The squid beak Mm -hmm. that it it gets petrified and lasts a long time. But there's all kinds of fossils and everything. So when you think about it, my personal feeling about it is that Alamat. You know, that is the oldest reef in the world. And then you've got thousands of years ago, Lake Champlain, Lake George, connected. And I somehow feel that there could be tunnels or something underneath these two bodies of water. And Mm -hmm. that they're still somewhat connected. And I feel that it is very, very, very possible in that kind of depth, which the majority of this huge lake, the sixth largest lake in the United States, I feel very strongly that there is a strong possibility that a prehistoric lived through this I, I, I do believe now I always had an open mind about it mm. and I really, is. I always said until somebody proves it to me, but between those that couple I met and the whole detailed description of what happened to them and what they saw and also what happened under my friend's boat I have a whole different feeling about it now
0: So mm. we, we have this segment we do at the end sometimes they call it off the wall it's just like crazy talk uh-huh. um i'm
2: all and for I that just,
0: i just wanted to bring up this this topic so you had talked about quartz and energy mm-hmm. and uh, that being a native american belief and within like the paranormal uh mm-hmm. i don't know groups there's the belief that quartz acts as like a, a memory card sort of and i think i i can't like remember any like specific studies but i think science they have even been able to record certain types of data on cords plug it into a computer somehow and and use it as like an actual i don't know usb type thing so the thought is like like uh traumatic events and you know just weird things are getting recorded on this quartz and somehow something activates the quartz and it you know, these these images or these things kind of just appear out of nowhere. I mean, it's just a theory that's out there. And when you were talking about quartz and this Native American beliefs and energy it made me think of that.
2: I really have never discussed this with anyone except the Native American people. Um, their culture going way, way back and how they feel about quartz. But that petroglyph that I found, that single face, and I have the picture right with me and back of me here, it's the it was made on these waves of white quartz. And that is what made me at the end go, I just was drawn to this. And I said, one more time, I know it should be up. I'm out of air air almost. And I took and swiped that one swipe. It was like I was drawn to this to do this. I did it. And there was that just, Right looking at me, I was so overwhelmed. I started to cry in my mask after looking for so long. And uh, I will have to say, um, down when I the whole time searching, there's a lot, a lot of white quartz in that black schistic rock, and it's so beautiful. I have the most beautiful underwater footage. I'm really into this whole thing now because I feel totally relaxed down there when I'm diving. I feel so connected. connected. I'm not scared. I'm so relaxed. And here I am diving under the Vilas, I mean, yeah, the Vilas Bridge, Abellas Falls, where they have to either hold the water back for us or we have to be damn sure, <laughs> excuse, excuse that language, they can open up that dam and it could have seven knot current and I lose another mask in my fins. So. Here I am. Yeah, I get all those obstacles. I take and do all my homework, and they know I'm down there. I report it to the damn people, but it's not their responsibility. If they get the call, if they get to let the water out. They can give me, you know, they can tell me it's going to be supposedly not let out till six p.m. tonight, but we can't guarantee it. in that, well, they've been pretty much on the money, but there have been a couple of times that they did have to open. But when I'm down there, here I am. My very first dive, except when I was searching for that missing person and i'm down diving in these whirlpools of bottles i they were all filled with quartz from all the offerings to their elders and their they it's it's i can't explain it's the same feeling i had in the west river on um, my search i don't know what it is but i am very intuitive and very connected to the earth and connected underwater I'm not scared I'm totally relaxed unless I'm on a search and I'm really you know anxious trying to find the person but when I dove in that those whirlpools it's like you almost feel so energized like you just want to really look at it and down there it was like they were all filled with like you know little pieces of it and large pieces of it and i would just pick it up in my hands and look at it and try to dig down to see how deep it was and it was like two to three feet deep in these potholes yeah. uh not all of them but most of them and it's all beautiful just like Brattleboro, just like the west river the same black schistic rock and when you're up at the top looking on the land there's another weird thing. With the petroglyphs up on land, if you look down, you don't see what I see from the water because the ledge that goes, it goes all the way down right into the water, just like Brattleboro and whirlpools and everything, just like Brattleboro. But what I haven't told really a lot of people yet, but I'm filming it, these are the, some of the whitest bands of quartz, white quartz I've ever seen anywhere. But people can't see them. Mm. only if you're on the water mm. and only if the water's low. But it used to be low, right? B- these bands are like five inches, six inches wide and right where those petroglyphs are at the top, it's if you went straight down to the water, it's very dangerous, so I wouldn't advise it, but you went straight down from there into the water. They, It is amazing. I never saw it before from the land. I've only seen it this year. Diving, and is it's energizing. There's something to it. I don't know what, I don't know what, all of the things that you just said, but I know how I feel around it. And it's that, and the combination of the history, the culture, the fish, the, you know, what happened along the river and their way of living. And it's so respectful, I'm so respectful of nature and the water. Yeah. But I feel it. I feel something. They must be so infused with power.
1: I mean, with the history and and just.
2: I've never felt like this in my entire life. I have over three thousand dives in my life. That's an average of two hours, but some only you know half an hour. But and that's and I don't have any of them documented from my trainings. So that's a lot. I probably have six thousand hours underwater, and I've never in my whole life anywhere in the world anywhere had this very comforting very there's something to it looking for these two s- around these sites with the petroglyphs and the eagles and there's eagles there too and bells falls mm. i when i'm in the water
0: be interesting to bring like a emf detector down just to like just to see it's like a picks up just you know energy
2: will it pick it up underwater
0: I, i'm not exactly sure but you should look It'd be into interesting it. just to see if anything's coming off of the course You should itself. look
2: into it because if, if it did, I mean, I am not um, well-versed in this, but I would be happy to take it down in this most beautiful, beautiful... It's, there's like eight bands right next to each other with about an inch or two in between them. Oh, wait, there's one more place. One more place I found this year. <laughs> Never saw it before. Williams River where it goes into the Connecticut River in oh, right. Rockingham, I found uh, I found the same thing. I was snorkeling. And before Hurricane Irene, you never would notice this before, but when the river was so high and it took like the moss and took the stuff off, there, it's only like it goes down about 16 feet. The rest of the river is like you know, three. And I found this hole. I have it on video. It's the same thing where I had that feeling. I was just drawn to go over to this hole and dive it i was so into it two hours just looking at the rock i'm just looking at the rock but i kept thinking there's got to be petroglyphs here there's got to be because it was the same
0: thing right it's almost like it they're they're there they're mm-hmm. there why wouldn't they be here you know Mhm. that's interesting i grew up on that river the williams river but you did uh in bartonsville
2: Oh, you are so amazing. Like right right above, there's like a little waterfall. Yes. Yeah, right above there. Little? It's not very little. It's well, huge. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. They were generating electricity. Is that what you're talking about? Right to the right as you go over the bridge, and it's on the right, and there's a great big giant gorge?
0: Yeah, I think so. It's it's up past the bridge, so. Yeah,
2: that's an amazing area, too. The whole river is like so spiritual, like you just have that feeling. Yeah. I had an incredible Incredible find after Hurricane Irene out there. Very another very spiritual thing too. Amazing. You know, I volunteered a lot of time looking for people's belongings, and this one man, uh, Bill, I don't remember his last name. His whole house. His dad used to live in this little house right on the Williams River, um, on the Chester side. Um, and what happened was. Um, He knew I dove and he told me what happened to him and how the whole house was taken away and washed all down the river And I saw it um, on Parker Hill Road part of the house was like hitting the bridge and so I volunteered to help people find things that they lost and Of all the things this man lost what meant the most to him and he told me and shared it with me He his sister he was very close to her and she she had cancer and it was terminal and um, before she died She gave him something, you know, that really meant a lot to him. And it was a full-size Carhartt one-piece suit, Mm. right? Um, The goldish color one. And so he said it meant the world to him to have this. And she gave it to him. It was like right before she died. And he said, "And I don't care about the gun or, you know, different things he mentioned that he lost or the house. I care about that, but I'm sure you'll never find it. I said, you know what, Bill? I'm going to try. So I went for three days in a row. By myself, and I said, um, "I want you to check in with me every couple hours because I'm going south and I can't go, you know, back to all the rocks and everything." This is the God's only, God's honest truth. I'm so into like looking around and trying to help. Most of the time, I have to come out of the water, take my things off, and walk in the shallow water, go back into the deep holes, and then I was underwater in a deep hole, and I don't know why. I should have just kept going but south but i had this feeling come out of the water swear to god i come up from the bottom it's about maybe 12 feet deep i look up that water got got 30 feet high right it Mm -hmm. got so high right yeah guess what happened i swear to god i come out of the water and i'm just kind of looking around i looked up Hanging from a tree no, no, at least 20 feet above my head wow. was this Carhartt suit. No way. I couldn't see Carhartt, but it looked like what he described in the color, and it was caught on a branch. What, I'm, I couldn't wait till he got there. I got out of the water, took all my stuff up. I'm looking at the tree. I'm like, I can't climb up there. There's not enough weight, not a way. He got there with one of his friends to check on me. And I said, Bill, you're never going to believe this. It's a miracle. I don't know how to explain it. I said, look up over your head. He looks up and he starts to cry. He goes, oh, oh my God, that's the
0: suit in it.
2: That's the car heart. I said, are you sure? It might just be another person's. He goes, that's mine. Mm. And then they went up into the tree and took it down. it was all filled with sand, you know, from tumbling all right. the da- way down the river. And it was his suit.
0: <laughs> that's incredible. That, yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Was, I would imagine that would be long gone
2: I started to cry <laughs> you know I would have thought yeah I the same thing but although cloth a lot of times gets hung up and you know how there's a lot of rocks and ravines yep. there mm. but it made it through some like you know, that part that's some where is it uh, in back of um, you know the deep hole the deep pool there what's it called um it's in back of a big logging company um, that's there and if you walk in the back you can I used to go down there all the time it's Amazing, it made it through over all those rocks and kept going. I can't believe it It was miraculous, actually. It was an amazing find, yeah, and it meant the most to him. And I just to see him like that and so appreciative, and he just kept saying, Oh my god, how I can't believe how high up it is. I said, Don't feel bad, I can't believe it either. And (laughs) was standing there looking at it, it was amazing.
0: Yeah, the water got it was. My aunt, she recorded the covered bridge.
2: Yes, the Bartonsville bridge. Yeah, she
0: was able to record that. That that that's how high the water was. That's it was crazy. Amazing,
2: I saw it too, and I'm on the end of water rescue team at the time that occurred was amazing. We had a lot of rescues, people stranded on their houses in Grafton. Who would ever think that you could be surrounded by water in
0: Grafton? Right, but you were. They were. Yeah, they got completely. Closed off on every end I think I
2: responded when it started getting better To this house where it was, You know, The house has a sliding glass doors On one end, one side And sliding glass doors on the other side And the water came crushed into the cl- Sliding glass doors and it was like a river That went right through the middle of this guy's house <laughs> And out the other side And he was trapped on the other side He couldn't cross, he couldn't get out of his house mm. He was surrounded by water An older man, we took care of him And got him out It's amazing right. This is so much fun, you guys. I love it here. And then I feel
1: like you have superpowers. You're drawn to these things, you know. I um, know. Ancient sites that have you know power, but then also you're able to find a random carhartt suit up in a tree when you've been exploring a river. I mean, it's.
2: If you ever heard all the stories, I haven't shared a lot. I don't think I've ever told anyone that story. Maybe Bill did. The the man that. Owned it, he, I, he might have But mm-hmm. if we could sit here for the rest of my life And even longer probably <laughs> I bet you got... There's something very spiritual Like I when you really care about I believe that people had a sixth sense Years ago, mm-hmm. a long time ago And it was a strong sense And I believe that I have This strong sense That most people have lost They don't mm-hmm. go walking outside They don't go hiking They don't right. do anything You're tuned and just tune into mm. all of this and I, I just feel it.
0: We talk about that kind of stuff here all the time. We really? cover a bunch of episodes about I, I'm gonna have to, being I, attuned to to the air. If earth.
2: I'm not underwater, I'm gonna listen to more.
0: <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. Don't listen underwater. It, <laughs> it can be distracting. Yeah. <laughs> I I wanted to ask about I don't know if you have ever been there. I'm I wanna say you have, but I don't know. Lake Willoughby. Have you ever dove Lake Willoughby? Yes,
2: Yes I have. Oh boy, there we go I hear that
0: is a very dangerous
2: It is, there's like a lot of uh, rock and underwater caverns So a lot of people that aren't certified cave divers that know the proper way to, to have a reel with a rope And when you go in, you always want to make sure That that rope is attached to something So you can follow it out Because when you go in, it looks one way But when you turn around to come out There's a lot of um, really strange things that happen right. And I sadly, so sadly My friend Wes Giles the most famous underwater discovery person ever. And the day of his, um, he was always on National Geographic, and he actually died not in a cave miles in. He died checking out equipment in less than 30 feet. But mm-hmm. what Wes, I, I did a lot of, a lot of diving in Jenny Springs, Florida. It's where the Suwannee River is, and there's thousands and thousands of fresh water that's just like, pounding out of these caves and caverns. Mm -hmm. And um, I brought to you, brought today um, a Mastodon tooth. And I was down, um, I think it was only in maybe a quarter of a mile or something. And there was a deep hole. You have to take your tank off sometimes and put that tank first to get into some of these um, holes and caverns, which I did um, a number of times there. But what happened was in this deep hole, I found it was so intriguing, 110 artifacts mastodon bone mostly native american they would take the bone and then they would um, carve it so it was really sharp to make clothing i found um two huge mastodon teeth that one's a baby one but the is this lake willoughby no but i'm getting to lake willoughby because i'll tell you why you asked me like it's really scary So this was in florida yes i'm sorry gainesville florida swanee river lake willoughby The bottom with all in Lake Champlain, too, these weird caverns and caves. And what I was going where I was leading to that, and thank you for bringing me on track because I can get off into a (laughs) lot of different subjects. But but my mind was saying, I wanted to explain that as far as. Lake Willoughby, a lot of people have drowned in the years, divers and yep. things. And the reason is that those caves and caverns, if they're not experienced and they don't use rope to go in and out, it's when you're coming out, it looks totally different. You get lost and then you swim. And so, unfortunately, while I was um, my last time there, um, they these men weren't certified cave divers. They waited with their 13 year old son, and uh, after dark, um, they were told that they couldn't dive. There's a there's a metal gate, and they told they couldn't dive unless they we were a cave diver certified. They waited till after dark. They snuck in. They both went into the cave, um, the caverns, and when you go in, because I had never been in as deep as I did that day. Um, You're going straight. You see, you know, it looks beautiful, right? When you turn around and you're coming back out, these, what you didn't even notice before, are all these other channels, and you think you're going up the right one. You might go five, ten minutes up one, and it's a dead end. Mm -hmm. And they were both found by my friend Wes. And um, when I think of Lake Willoughby, the way that some of those areas are, with, you know, everybody, if you're a diver and, and you're new at this, please bring a rope with you and a reel and if it looks like a cavern that you want to explore please don't do that please don't take a reel lock it into something so you can follow your rope back out because it will not look the same and i made a mistake a long time ago in lake willoughby and thank god you can learn by your mistakes and live through them the environment I was in was it looked like it was just like a little, you know, swim from here and go out and you see light and you know you think it's a cavern, and it ends up being a cave. Or worse, you can see light way, way far away, but then when you turn around to come back out, just as I explained about how there's dead ends, I was low. I probably had like twelve hundred pounds of air, but you always know, just come up to five hundred. And I took one of those dead ends with, and I had just, I came out of the water with like 75 pounds of hair. Wow. I would have died if I, so Lake Willoughby is deep, it's mysterious, there's a lot of Native American it's beautiful. Um, history, Is absolutely beautiful.
1: Where was Lake Willoughby? I'm sorry, I don't know
0: where that is.
2: I, it's, it's up north. It's it's something in I can't even think of the name of the town it's in. It's Vermont Yeah. Yes, yes, yes.
0: I can't think of the name of the town. I can't either. think of
2: the town it's in right now. But it I,
0: looks like uh like huge. a like a like a like I don't know, something you would see in like uh, Norway or Yes, or, it's um, so different. It looks like a fjord from yeah.
2: another country. Wow.
0: It's, be- it's so beautiful. I,
2: I've heard the name, but I and didn't know. It's
0: realize. super thin. It's like it's yeah, really thin. Yeah, long and thin.
2: That's why it's so deep, I think. Wow. Yeah, mysterious, beautiful, beautiful, mysterious. But I won't make that mistake again. I'm lucky the mistakes that I have made. And some people won't admit they made mistakes, but I've been admitting to some that I made. And everybody makes mistakes. Mm. But if you learn from them and you don't ever repeat them, that's a good thing. I make mistakes every day.
0: I do, too. I usually repeat them, but...
2: (laughs) I make more non-mistakes, but every day we're human. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to believe I don't make mistakes. I hope other people can learn from them by sharing from my experience, admitting that I made a mistake. Please don't ever do this because you could die, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I I brought that lake up because you had mentioned caverns connecting Champlain to another lake. Yes. And they, I've always heard that there's one between Crystal Lake and Lake Willoughby. And they yes. Something connects them together. I
2: agree. And I believe that, too. Because I had a woman call me that wants me to come up and dive in her area where she lives on Crystal Lake. She swears she's seen something big. and you Yeah, know,
0: they call it the wisp.
2: Yeah, I don't know a lot about it, but she... Begged me to come. She, you know, I think she's lived like 45, 50 years. But I've been so busy with these other projects. But now I'm really intrigued by it. And now that you're bringing this up, um, I did a lot of diving in Lake George. Mm-hmm. About three years ago, I did tons of diving in Lake George.
0: That New York, and, right?
2: Yep, New York, and um, you know how I was saying, like many, many years ago, I believe that Lake George, you know, thousands of years ago, Lake George was connected to Lake Champlain. I firmly believe that right. the bottom where I was was so similar, the rock and everything, to different parts of Lake Champlain. It's just, I just had this feeling that this underwater caves connecting them still. Yeah, I mean.
0: There are
1: canals now that connect the two in today uh, today right like with locks and things like that for shi- yes. shipping to go through. Yes. But but before any of that was around there could be underwater connections between the two bodies. I think
2: so. I really feel strongly about that wow. because of the current and everything mm. because where the deepest part of the lake is when they did a survey, a water survey for shipwrecks years ago, it's very strange looking because it's it's not like it's like Going in the abyss, I call it the abyss, the two holes I've done near the French King Bridge. Mm. Thirty years ago, my friend and I were tied, We're going down the river in the pontoon boat. I'm looking like I always am at the thing. The um, you know, death finder, and it's like 32, 32, 32, 87, 87, 87, 32, 32. I'm looking at this. They're talking. They don't <laughs> I'm like looking at this thing. And then a short time later, we kept going before I could even say anything. I was in such shock. 122, 127, one, you know, and it was quite wide. And I said, Hey guys, listen, I think that your um, depth finder is malfunctioning. We have to turn around and go back up. I know you're anxious to get down to Kid Island to look for Captain Kid's treasure, but we have to look at this. And we turned the boat around and, and I said, I told me exactly where to go. I said, I want all of you to look. I want the two of you to look at this step finder. And I want you to see what I saw. Because if it happens again twice, exactly in the same place, then there's something to this story. Mm. And they were looking. And they're like, Annette, come on. 32, 34, 32. And then all of a sudden, 87, 88, 82. And they, they were like shocked. And then we went beyond that. And it was like 120 something. I said, it happened this is the second time there are holes here holes right here wow. and then my friend Jeff who saved me you know from the shopping cart mm-hmm. I was he was one of them mm. he's like I'm diving it <laughs> uh, I'm of like, course. No, we don't have the proper equipment to dive this safely this is a deep dive we don't have a, like a this is a decompression dive you know we have to have more air and hang them down into the hole he did it he dove that without
1: not, the proper equipment
2: not the day I was with him because I okay. wouldn't do it right I went down about 40 feet, 50 feet, and I saw things on the wall of this hole that I've never seen in my life diving under the river. We have freshwater sponges, freshwater sponges Mm. species. They're very small. They look like mushrooms, right? There were saucer sized white sponges, like a plate, eight inches. It was amazing amazing. And nope. you want to know something about that that's so weird, is that when you get down to the bottom, because I, I said Jeff, why why isn't it filling in? The Connecticut River, all the current everything's right up, why isn't it filling up? I'm not going to dive it because I think it's an underwater cavern and those two holes are connected mm. and if that's the case, we and then there's another hole beyond that we will be trapped underwater in a cavern. There's some explanation to this Jeff, it has there's something, there's got to be, it's filtering down under the sand and gravel to somewhere.
0: That's good thinking. I would not have thought that.
2: So the connection there, wow, yeah. I knew that, why, why isn't this filling in? Why? In the middle of the river, right? That deep? (laughs) It's like gravel, sand, thousands of years. It's it was crazy. Jeff, when he got to the bottom, it was all gravel, small rocks, all those freshwater sponges and different species of things we've never seen, and the only fish that was there, and he has giant lamps, as I said, you know, when he rescued me when I was caught in the cart. Um, He said he saw one fish. It was a lamprey, a lamprey eel, which are very important to the river Mm. over the years Um, because they come up the river and then they die. But the nutrients of the decomposing body is extremely important to the water. Um, There's a lot more to it. But anyway, yeah, I, I... that's how i feel like did he go to the bottom he went to the bottom
0: did he know did he know what it was
2: i said did you feel any kind of current or anything and he said well there could have been a slight current but i didn't really you know if there's a current i didn't mean current like going down south you know with the river i meant current coming out of the bottom mm. any kind of feeling he had that like there was a slight like sucking in you know in the bottom right. to um there has to be there has to be. There's no way, no way that that wouldn't have filled in. Right. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a mystery. That's a it's real mystery. It's a real mystery.
2: <laughs> it's a very huge mystery. And to this morning, as a matter of fact, at the meeting I was at in Turnus Falls, I was with the Gill Historical Society member, president, and she and I, It's weird how things happen. You know, this morning I just was so in touch with the Native Americans talking about a project I'm going to do at Turner's Falls in recognition of all the tribes that came together and um, had a reconciliation. was so wonderful. But I'm on this um, committee, um, Historic Preservation Committee, and it it was so weird because what I'm talking about right now, you know, the spiritualness of how I feel underwater searching, there's something to this because this morning... It just so happened I spent like an hour having these conversations with a spiritual feeling under the water in the river, hmm. with the Native American uh, representative Richosu and um, also um, Chief Roger Wongto
0: Yeah, I I definitely believe that there are certain sites throughout the world that just have a an energy. I don't, you know.
2: I agree with that.
0: Just comes. I don't know why from the earth.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it, obviously, you know these different cultures throughout the world have also recognized this, and they have used those sites.
2: I have so much more, and I, I don't know how much time we have. But over the years, I met a lot of people. Y- you know that there are a lot of Native Americans that were buried right near the Vilas Bridge, and they built buildings, shops,
0: like the paper br- the mills, train station. Mm-hmm. Right, wasn't there a there was a burial site right there? Yes,
2: I know a lot about this now because I'm on a committee on that grant committee to um, make it a national register. But I met people over the years. That did not know, because in my confidential work, I would never mention names or anything, but I met people over the years, many of them, that used to work at Robinson's Paper Mill and Fall Mountain Paper, and this is a long time ago because it's closed a long time, but it was a long time ago, but I'll never forget what they said. They'd be working the night shift really late, be really quiet, and there's a big open building, and they would see what looked like a Native American head and chest, and sometimes with headdress as they described it, sometimes without. But they were not their whole body. They always talk about it being like half of their body, just floating across from one side to the other and disappearing into the wall. Mm. And they never saw a whole one. They all said they saw half. So I told, you know, I asked Roger, Chief Roger Lonto about it. And he said, those are our old ones. And I don't feel right talking about it It would be him Mm. to give you the exact explanation. But we know right now part of the study that we're doing for this protection, the national protection, involves, involves much involvement in the burial grounds of the Native Americans Mm. and how many buildings were built on top of them and what they did with their remains Mm -hmm. and such. And it's amazing. Amazing. Amazing it doesn't just involve my underwater part it involves all around it it's amazing I firmly believe this it came from reputable people that very honest, wonderful, older, older people that worked there for years. And, you know, they made very little money. And back then, they just really struggled, a lot of them. But they were so great. There's some of my favorite people I've ever met in my life. I learned so much from people I meet with my diving. They helped me so much. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing.
0: So I guess there's one last thing, that, I, at least for now, that I wanted to cover. Um, we
2: have to
1: have you back as well because I, know, I feel like there's <laughs> so much more that
0: we I want to ask you about
1: and we're already going really long today but no Nick I would please do but I I, I would hope Annette that you would want to come back someday again and, and talk more about this because this is about the most fascinating thing I've ever heard.
2: If you're interested <laughs> in what I do if you're interested in some of these I don't really tell people usually because they wouldn't believe me or they would think I was crazy um, and I have strong feelings with the connection that I feel underwater But anyway, I I could spend the rest of my life telling you of the thousands of dives I've done, I've never made one single dive Ever that I didn't find something or see something very unusual. Oh my God. So you can ask for the question and I'd be happy to come back for a second round because this is a great studio, yes, very comfortable, and you guys are really fun. Oh, Annette,
1: you are great. You're so charismatic and you're just like leading this whole thing. It's I was, making I was it so, so nervous. Easy for, I was too.
2: Maybe that's why the fish come to me. They feel <laughs> comfortable I, I, with I, me. Yeah. I feed them out of my hands all the time. And I,
0: I still can't believe that. I would be so... Just so scared. <laughs> I am
2: no. terrified
1: of, of the deep and not knowing what's I know. there and not being able to see, but it's...
2: I'm totally comfortable as long as I don't go to Echo Lake. Right. And that <laughs> will fast, never that is a fascinating, see me in Echo Lake. That's totally fair, based and on I the And I am not, I'm not one of these people that say, oh, yeah, I'm so brave. Nothing scares me. That scared me.
0: Would Yikes. it be all right if I asked someone, if I told that story to... I mean, obviously people are going to hear it, but... Right, um, I,
2: yeah, we're not talking just, it feels very comfortable, casual here, like I'm talking to just you, but I, I know that I never shared this with anyone, and you could talk to anyone you want <laughs> about that, because what I shared today, I did not use any, you know, personal information, any names, anything confidential, I actually shared with you experiences I had, and I have a lot of them, a lot of them, and I shared with you these experiences, because, I mean, who knows, I might not be here forever and nobody would ever know. So mm. I decided to share it with you guys and your what? audience. I didn't All honor it for right. us. This is
0: so
1: cool for our podcast. Thank you so much. You're yes. welcome.
0: You're welcome. I, I just mentioned that because I, I talked... Uh, I don't know if you... You might have heard him, uh, Joseph Citro. He's an author. He's But he deals with like the paranormal stuff. Uh, and he might know something about that story. So I just wanted really? to ask him.
2: Well, I say, yes, I would be very interested... And talking with him and hearing his take on that,
0: he's like uh, an encyclopedia of New England.
2: Where does he live? What state?
0: He lives in Vermont, in
2: Windsor, I believe. We probably shouldn't give too much confidential information because he sounds interesting. Everybody would be calling him.
0: Oh, everyone! He's very popular. He's quite man. a
2: famous literary figure. Yeah, he's already. very popular. I think I actually heard of him. I should have heard more, but yeah. but
0: yeah, you, you can you, run up by know. him.
2: You can definitely run up by him. Yeah.
0: And I guess the last thing I wanted to ta- ask you about we don't need it doesn't have to be very long uh, this the Captain Kid Treasure thing that you just met that sounds interesting
2: Oh, it sure is. <laughs> I can't tell you everything about that. But I, but I will tell you
0: this. What, you
1: can't tell us everything?
2: Not okay, everything. Okay. Now that I know, you, I, I know you guys have a large audience and a large following. And, I <laughs> and can't. it'll be a lot bigger after this episode. I, <laughs> I believe it. I will say this, though. You know, um, going over the French King Bridge for so many years, and also where I was diving where those holes are, happens to be near the island in... And the day that we went out and we discovered these holes, we were actually going to give it a shot to see what it looked like underwater at Captain Kidd's so-called area where he... The boat came up from Long Island and there's the evidence, there's absolute evidence. I did so much research about the Scardine, all these islands down off of Long Island. He brought this ship up the ship up the Connecticut River. It was more narrow than. There's this island um, called Kid Island. You look on a map of the river and you will see it. Um, I always wondered, why was that called Kid Island? Well, after I looked into this and got a lot of research behind my belt, I went to the Northfield Historical Society where I proceeded to, um, one second please, research and find that it was always a rumor and it talks about years and dates and you know over the years of and they state in their historical history of Northfield that this was that this happened and apparently um you know some people observed this very slow moving ship that was kind of you know deep in the water you know it was strange because they talked about it being there for a while. It didn't say how long, but then it, it talked about these same people witnessing this ship was not, like, really deep in the water, and it was faster moving, and it was out of the water more. So they just put two and two together. And Captain Kidd actually, you know, where Route 2 is, and he went to Boston and all this, and he was actually hung um, there. But, but anyway, so I did all this research and everything, and... Um, the weird thing about this research is it just kept leading to these you know documented type things that happened, people eyewitnessing seeing it come up so all these years you know I really my friends um they rented a pod tube out, and um, it was the same three of us. And we went there, and I had maps of how big it used to be. Of course, with all the floods over the years and the high water, land gets eroded fast. Oh. It's almost like the, um, the same problem of the mill, I mean the mill, the dam being opened at that mm-hmm. fast rate and causing erosion. So those storms every time would cause erosion. We have worse. We have a storm every day with the... Uh, you could see how I feel about that flat fast release. Water. Right. But anyway, so back to this. Um, we rented this boat, Barton's Cove, went down intending to dive on that. That's when we saw the holes. That was that day. And then we did get down there and we realized, you know, when I put the maps together and the length and the width of it, that it's about maybe 40% gone underwater. So when we were diving of course the water would, the current would have gone south. So that's where the build up would have been, you know, and it was really like shallow because at one time it was part of the island. But mm-hmm. north of the island where it got the brunt of the, of the current pushing down the river, that's where um, it also eroded very bad but right in the front of it, it was quite deep. Anyway, lo and behold um, I can't tell you what I found and how I found it. Um, this is about how many years ago now? Oh my God, it's quite a long time ago, and I haven't been back. But I did find something um, finally on that day. We did multiple dives, mm. but I don't want to disclose what it is because mm. it might it may or may not be <laughs> may or may not be. You know, and I don't want to have a bunch of people out there and getting hurt trying right. to do the immature. No, right. yeah, that's
0: understandable. Yeah,
2: but I believe it. I guess.
0: Well, because I don't know if you have you. You must have looked into the Captain Kidd story. Somewhat. There was, you know, when they went down to hang him, he said that he would lead them to, if they let him live, They would lead. he would lead them to so this buried, buried treasure. treasure. And they didn't believe him, so they hung him. Wow. So there could be buried treasure out there still. I believe it and is. And Captain Kidd is, I think he is the only recorded pirate to ever actually bury treasure on some island, but they recovered it.
1: Well, Annette, you just confirmed Nico's um, suspicions. I am
2: obsessed with
0: pirates and buried treasure and just the history of pirates and treasure. I'm obsessed
2: with adventure. I am totally obsessed with discovery and things that are new. Like I give presentations for students and they think in their head, everything has been found in the world. Everything, the river's never going to, there's no good news. Everything's polluted. Everything's bad. Mm. That river has had a complete reversal. When I go yeah. in and talk with them, I talk a positive, positive, positive. Mm. We have this river that's a complete reversal. It's clean now. We have so much history, undiscovered. That river is a treasure trove. I talked to them about kayaking along it, walking along it, the things that they can find. I've taken students with me down to the water just walking. I said, look. Look at that, you know. So I love history and discovery. I love archaeology. I love mysteries that need to be solved or never was a mystery before until life found something that that it became a mystery. Um, but I have a totally, totally open, total open mind. From what I've seen over the years, there's no question. The feelings that I have that are so intense searching for the Native American um petroglyph sites because my intention is not to hurt them mm. or disclose them for any reason to benefit me no money i don't care about that i just want to to discover it mm-hmm. so because i have the right frame of mind and what my intentions are in my heart i believe that that is why i was you know i, I just feel so connected
1: mm. what a positive message to take away i mean i'm so Glad to hear that the Connecticut River is recovering the way that you say it is, and it really is. And it's so it's so refreshing to hear somebody like you talk about doing the right thing when you are are, are mm, having these experiences. You know, going to the, the Native Americans and making sure that it's all done the right way, you respectfully, know? respectfully. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: That's. And they were the first one, people I called.
1: Yeah, it's so it's so refreshing to hear that, and I just I'm just filled with positivity after this conversation. It's so cool. <laughs>
2: So if I do come back, you have to remind me to tell you the last thing that happened on the day that I found it that was so weird and it was so connected to what this man said to be Native American, how it all happened. It would be like 10 minutes, maybe, but remind me.
1: We'll leave it as a cliffhanger for your next appearance, then. We're definitely going to have you back if you'll come.
2: Yeah, you'd want to hear this. Oh, yeah. I never shit up with him. It's very spiritual. Oh, I don't God. think he would mind if I did. But no, I want to ask you. Anyway. That. So, with that, I have many more stories of, I mean, many, many more. My advice is don't be afraid to be on Echo Lake. This thing lives on the bottom, apparently. Nobody's been missing, (laughs) uh, but you won't see me diving there again. And I love what I do, and I'm very respectful of the earth and the water and the Native American culture, and I love history. And you can call me Indiana Jones. All my friends do, so it's okay. Okay, we will use that then. (laughs) Thank
1: you so much, Annette. It's been such a pleasure. This has been fun.
2: I love your studio. This is fun, so relaxing. And I love sharing these with people that really want to hear. So thank you. And that's almost canon.